Hi and welcome to the Andy Gorman Golf One Putt Podcast and we are here today, uh, the day after. The How do you describe this minuscule little event called the US Open um, in such a magnified way when you get um, the result that we've had this weekend? I mean, just absolutely incredible. Um, Bryson DeChambeau, I dot the cap to you. Um, you've done everything possible to go and win a major championship and you've done it and I trust that it will be the first of many. Um, you're a breath of fresh air to the game of golf and um, I, I want to applaud you. Um, didn't make a call on you this time last week, um, but that's fine. Um, two out of three made the cut, I suppose. That's pretty good going for my predictions. But uh, yeah, Bryson, you are a breath of fresh air for the game of golf. I'm pretty sure they will rein you in, um, you know, the powers that be. But uh, just an incredible display. You uh, you definitely, well, you lapped the field on Sunday from, uh, I think it was you and Murray uh, from Sky Sports said. But um, yeah, lapping the field on a Sunday at the US Open, um, the way that you did is pretty special. Because I'm not here on my own. I'm here with my wingman, a good friend, Gareth Shaw from Mediates. Gareth, good morning. How are you? Hi, Andy. How are you? Yeah, really good, thank you. And just kind of echo your comments. I wasn't, I, I wouldn't say I'm, I was the, he's a bit misunderstood, Bryson DeChambeau. I know he hasn't got the biggest fan base out there, but I think more now people look into him and um, understand like the hard work and dedication that, especially put in through lockdown, is mm. really starting to pay off now. Well, yeah, I mean, yes, and, you know, and arguably you could say that it was paying off before. I mean, obviously, you know, the Rocket event that he won, you know, again, lap in the mm-hmm. field by, you know, <laughs> and it's funny, isn't it? You know, you get sort of a, pair, a sparring, you know, match that goes on between, um, you know, certain players at certain times and maybe the DeChambeau-Wolf spar is, um, you know, is is going to be the one going forward for the next couple of years. I, you know, I'd like to see that it is. Um, I'd like to see it even itself out as well, but I think it's um, DeChambeau two Wolf one, uh, so Wolf nil at the moment, and um, you, you know that's uh, um, you, you know I, th- I I think you know both players you know need to be applauded. I mean Matt Wolf came back you know having had a nervy start, and uh, you know he's not been in the mix as many times as Bryson has, and um, you know it it, it showed. Um, you know, and you do have to build yourself up to, you know, especially major championships. Although I think Colin, Mon- uh, Colin, um, it Marikawa, I think it was Marikawa, yeah. yeah, you know, sort of buck the trend on that one a little bit. But, um, you know, ultimately, you know, you are, I, I think we are now as golfers, um, seeing something, um, special, you know, and, you know, will it be special? You know, we'll be talking about it in 20. Oh, I'd like to be thinking we're talking about it in 20 years' time. Me, especially, I'll be 71 years of age. So, you know, I'd be great to think that I would still around in 20 years' time talking about Bryson DeChambeau's records, um, you know, as we are Tiger. So, you know, I think, you know, there's a very, very good chance, um, you know, that we'll be seeing a significant, um, you know, career and major championship victories. So, um, yeah, like I say, I talk the cap to you, Bryson. You, uh, you're a breath of fresh air to the game of golf and we know we need game changers. We had one 25 years or so ago in Tiger Woods and, um, you know, kind of haven't really had that. You know, I know with, you know, I don't want to sort of beat up the guys who've been around a while, you know, including, 
you know, Rory and um, you know, DJ and Justin Thomas and and the likes. But you know, have we had a mover and a shaker in the last um, you know twenty years like we have Tiger? And you know, apart from Tiger, I'd say the answer is pretty much no. Um, that's my opinion, of course. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, I think it's. Um, It'll be interesting to see how it goes over the next few years. Um, it'll be interesting to see what the RNA and the USGA get up to with regards to uh, doing something about protecting the courses. Um, but, you know, yeah, look, there's one way of protecting them, and let's do what you did this week with the US Open. I mean, that's, you know, if, if that's the way to do it, um, call it the US Open and make sure you put the memo in every single locker, you know, that you're not supposed to break par. Um, I'm not so sure the golfers would want to play golf like it, and I'm not so sure spectators would want to watch golf, um, you know, played, you know, with scores of, you know, 23 and 24 over par, you know, hanging around on a Sunday, um, you know, and picking up sort of TV coverage. It's quite uh, quite incredible, really. But, um, well, we've got a, a packed show. We will talk, obviously, some more tour talk, um, you know, because it's very relevant. This not just this week, it's, it is every week, but... Um, the, uh, we've got a competition winner to announce. We will be announcing at the end of the show. Um, that was our Twitter UK following um, show. We do apologise to our worldwide audience, of course, but uh, Duke Adel Cosma uh, was sponsors last week uh, for our podcast and our Twitter feed um, donated a pair of shoes from the UK office. So they are being posted within the UK. Um, so hence the reason why it was UK participants only we do thank everybody who retweeted and liked and you know we've had some new followers so we do thank you for joining us uh on twitter and i hope that you're enjoying the podcasts and the other social media as well um so we will be announcing our winner next uh, at the end of the show we've got um topics of conversation obviously are going to fall around wedges and putters as they normally do and the importance of short game um Gareth, what are your thoughts from what you've seen over the last four days, especially, but, um, you know, over the last week or so, um, you know, with regards to the game that we have seen at the US Open? I think if we kind of pick up from where you discussed before, the, the kind of Bryson effect, and mm. I, I don't think it's all about the kind of this, the, the coin the turn now on this bomb and gouge, where it's a, <laughs> Um, hit it as far as you can and then gouge it out. I, I do believe it, it's more skill than that. And we, we've seen it from Bryson this weekend. Uh, I don't know if you want to share some of the stats, Andy, but his short game, his approach play, his putting was as impressive as his driving, if anything. Oh, I know. Um, you know, we were, we were sort of discussing as we do using our thumbs this morning, but, um, you know, I mean, drive, drive it, driving average. I was a little bit surprised at this, you know, because driver, driver average, not just driving average, but driver average was 300 yards uh, or 300.4 yards. So just over 300 yards, which, you know, I would have anticipated it being uh, longer than that. So, you know, I mean, he's, he's averaging for the year over 320. So, you know, but I, you know, one of the things that we do know is when these things are actually measured, sometimes there's an iron or a hybrid or a three wood hit because, you know, the hole dictates that it, you know, it is. It also, 
counts only when the ball is in the fairway. So Bryson will hit it, yeah, 300, exactly. Bryson will hit it 380 yards into the rough, wedge it out, you know, 25 feet, not the putting, um, <laughs> which which is the, the sort of bomb it and gouge, you know, sort of approach. But ultimately, um, I don't know. Uh, I, I be honest with you, I haven't had a chance to check what the other sort of distances. I know because we have to go and dig out. You know, it's easy when you get the winner because everybody pops the winners out first thing in the morning uh, and their stats, and then we sort of pick up the traces on the field. Um, and it is early morning for us uh, as we speak. But um, you know, I don't know what that compares to. In, you know, like with the other um, with all the rest of the field, shall I say? Um, but I, there was one particular, uh, was it 16, I think, 15 or 16 yesterday? Um, you know, Matt Wolf was 80 yards behind Bryson's. Yeah, it was about 360, yeah. did he? Uh, or something? Yeah, 365. Um, yeah. And it was, you know, I mean, just ridiculous. I, I mean, it's not ridiculous because he does it, you know, he does it time and time again. It's, it, you know, we've spoke about it not on this show but you know we spoke about Bobber you know Watson and you know the distances he was launching the golf ball a few years ago you know and sort of Bubba doesn't come up in conversation as a long hitter anymore which is ridiculous because he is um you know and they, these guys are able to move it out there the fairways firmed up it's easy to see that the golf course started to run quite quick um and true and very true of course but um yeah, absolutely. You know, bombing it out there at 300 yards when he's hit the fairway, you know, is, is phenomenal. Um, How many fairways did he hit, Andy? I left this stat up this morning. I don't know if you know it, but I, I, I thought I'd kind of tease you with this one. How many fairways do you think he hit over four days? Oh, my word. I saw it last night when I was watching it. And I was shocked. It, it, I know that it's pretty much the lowest scoring average, isn't it? And there's very few have actually won hitting, you know, fewer... Um, in a fewer fairways, well, certainly nobody's won hitting fewer fairways, I don't think. Was he first or second in that list of fewest fairways hit or something? Um, he, is first, he is now first. Angel Cabrera first. is That's right. second at Oakmont. Angel hits 30 fairways and Bryson um, over the four days hit 23. Yeah, I, I knew it was under 30, but I didn't want to go ridiculously low because I was trying to work out how many fairways is possible in 72 holes. Um, yeah, it's not just, it's just it, yeah, it is. Um, to win a U.S. Open from the rough, uh, you know, is is unprecedented. Uh, will the rough thicken up? Look, you know, my for what it's worth, you know, my letters to the USP, uh, the USGA, and the, the RNA have fallen on deaf ears before. But um, you know, there's no point in thickening the rough anymore. There's no, it was you couldn't make it any thicker. There was no crowds to. Um, you know, to trample it down over a week's worth of practice and play um, on the extremities. So the further, and I think that showed, I think the further out, the further offline you ended up hitting it, now you got punished. I think that was a good thing mm -hmm. out of not having a crowd. I wouldn't like to see, you know, another year go by with no crowds. I think, you know, what we've been extremely patient as a golfing audience, um, you know, but at the same time, we were witnessing some phenomenal golf, and that's um, you know truly special. But um, you know, crowds do make it, and you know, it would have been interesting to see how crowds would have potentially interacted and changed the outcome because they always mm -hmm. can. You know, some players, you know, sort of follow the momentum of of the crowd, and others, um, 
you know get affected by you know the the atmosphere of crowd um and it will be interesting to see how those players that have excelled this year with no crowds actually handle the, the extra pressure of you know expectation as much as anything else um you know with having a crowd there and the folks um you know sort of expectations for um you know their games um you know and and cheering them along before of course the jeers start uh, potentially but um yeah you know when we, we go back to bryce and you know and his stats um you know, not not hitting as many fairways and gouging out puts a lot of pressure on a short game. And, you know, to win a tournament, well, it's not a tournament, it's a championship, as we know, to US Open, to win the US Open from the rough, as I've said, um, is, you know, incredible when you think that Bryson was never really known as one of the best um, players from around the greens and with his wedges. And, you know, we've talked about it on the show about how about it, yeah. um, how we haven't sort of seen the best of his wedges. I said it, you know, we haven't seen the best of his wedges and he will learn how to use his wedges, um, you know, more in competitive um, circumstances. And, you know, we're definitely going to see, see that. We've seen it this weekend. We're going to see an improvement on that. You know, he was... Um, Putting plus four strokes gained and around the greens plus five strokes gained. I don't know how that sort of fully pans out to the field in terms of one, two, three. I would put that in the top ten. No question. He's in the top ten, yeah. He's in the top ten. So it's top ten driving, top ten putting and top ten short game. Uh, it says mm -hmm. it all. Um, you know, I was reading a little bit about some of the stats about strokes gained and about how distance is important about getting it close from a couple of hundred yards. And most people can't hit it a couple of hundred yards. So that kind of falls, you know, on, on deaf ears for a lot of people. And I think it should. The importance of understanding that you're driving out, getting it out there and your ability to get it out of the rough or on and around the greens, you know, is is key. Um, but if you don't have a short game, it doesn't matter how good you, your long game is. You know, and we can do a comparison, which seems a little bit cruel because actually, you know, Lee Westwood has had a plus strokes gain score um, you know, this week at 1.82, which in comparative doesn't, I'm not going to use the word that Gareth posted this morning to me, which, you know, is pretty cruel. But to finish plus 1.82, you know, in putting, um, you know, strokes gained is, is, you know, a good number. Um, you're, you know, well and truly into the second half of the field, um, you know, and, you know, if but still finished a good way down the order. And this for me, you know, is, is one of the things you can't just say it's all about short game and it's all about putting and it's all about driving. And it's all about 200 yards or 180 to 200 yards. It's a collective. You know, if you can drive it well, great. If you can get it in the fairway, even better. But if you can get it to 25 feet and start to knock a few of those putts in the US Open, um, you know, then, well, you know, wow, um, you, you've got a fighting chance as, we, as now we've seen. So I don't see any reason why, you know, we would we can turn our backs or suggest that, you know, it's all about long game. The scoring is done by long game. Yes, it's done by a lot of distance. And it's certainly a heck of a lot easier to get a, a wedge out of the rough than it is even an eight iron in four inch rough. So, you know, distance is an important factor. And of course, it's going to shape the game going forward. However, that is whether it's done by 
you know, the next generation of, you know, now juniors um, in learning to hit the golf ball as hard and as far as they possibly can before they injure themselves. Um, you know, because that needs to be um, mindfully sort of considered, especially working with juniors. And then, um, you know, obviously looking at the stats, putting and short game, because if you can't, if you can't putt, you can't score. It, you know, it is as simple as that. Um, I just hope that's not forgotten because at the end of the day that we, we've talked about people, yes, about Westwood, mm-hmm. but his ball striking is amazing. And maybe that the short game side of things hasn't come to fruition in, in major championships that he, he'd hoped. And he'd probably have a dozen uh, major championships under his belt now if, if in major competitions he could have got up and down, he could have sunk more putts. But, but somebody we talked about this morning, who I think has, has, has shown it's not about that distance, is that Johnson? Yeah, I mean, fully 20 yards behind, um, you know, in, in terms of averages, but that's not a fair average because Zach Johnson only hits only 282 yards. Zach's not short, but by tour standards, you know, around about 160th, I believe, you know, in the field of 160 players is, is not. Um, not great. I know he's 160th on the PGA Tour. Two major mm. championships to his name. Um, I still believe that he's got one of the... I know he's over 40 now, but certainly a couple of years ago, just before he turned 40, apart from Tiger Woods, he was the winningest most individual of or um, you know, under the age of 40. Tiger and him are very similar ages. And, um, you know, he's he, he, he hasn't had a win since the Open Championship. Uh, in 2015, um, you know, gone through a bit of a, uh, a dry spell, um, struggled to hit the golf ball straight enough off the tee with his new equipment when he moved to PXG from Titleist. He's been with them for so many years. Um, you know, took a long time to settle into the the long equipment. Um, you know, hitting the fairway. You know, and this is one of the challenges that tour players often have. They make a you know, they get dropped by their, their current um, suppliers, sponsors, equipment sponsors. And then, you know, they're looking for the best deal for them. And, you know, it wasn't about money for Zach. It was about being involved in the equipment and design of the equipment and, you know, designing his own, you know, having input to his own equipment. I know that from, from Seymour. Uh, and he used, to, you know, he used the Seymour putter right the way up until this season, you know, where... Now he is using a PXG putter, which is, you know, a similar type style and configuration, you know, not entirely designed because, you know, there are some unique qualities and some patented qualities of a Seymour putter. But, you know, Zach is putting... Pretty similar, Andy. <laughs> yeah, they are. Yeah, very much so. Um, you know, and I don't see it available to the general public at this point in time. But, um, it, you know, we've... Um, uh, you know, th- these things are... Um, you know, challenges that a player, you know, oftentimes will have to overcome, but they've done it for money, you know, and, um, you know, when you haven't done it for money necessarily, um, you know, it is equally a challenge. You've got to overcome, you know, the the fact that unless you go with a, a non-contracted bag, of course, you know, and you can put the equipment in there that you, uh, you want to put in, you know, because it suits you best. So, it, you know, there's a lot to be said for that. Um, 14 club contracts are hard work for some players and, you know, others, you know, just a case of, you know, I can put anything in the bag and I can use it, you know, type of thing, Um, you know, but uh, others are more fickle. 
it comes down to the equipment around the greens, of course. You know, it's got to be um, exemplary. And Zach Johnson is just incredible around the greens. Um, and the first couple of days as well, you know, I've got Dr. Cap to, you know, Patrick Reed was leading the, mm-hmm. the the strokes gained around the greens. I mean, you know, and miles ahead. And then, you know, so, something happened. I mean, he even got up and down at the cabbage on, you know, the first hole uh, and the third round. And it all sort of went south um from there and you know you just look at it and question and go wow you know two great days but again you, you know can you rely on your game all of the time from you know the wedge shots around the greens i mean that is going to put you under a heck of a lot of pressure so yeah patrick reed still i think still had the, the least amount of putts for the week by any any player but, but like you said that the first two rounds i think he was averaging 1.3 on the green which is scary wow yeah that that's that is that's a, you know I mean that's an impressively impressive score you know one point mm-hmm. three puts on the greens is uh, you know is phenomenal by anybody's standards and of course you know he's, he's low twenties you know in overall um, you know numbers so you know fair play to him um, yeah you know I mean there's nothing more to say about that really mm-hmm. um, but when it comes down to it you know what a major championship like a U.S. Open um, you know, you've got to be able to wedge that ball. You know, you've got to be able, you're going to have to put the ball in play um, around, you know, into and around the greens. You're going to miss greens. You're going to get stuck in some of the cabbage around the edges of the greens and you've got to be able to play from that. And I will say this as a short game coach, some, a lot of that, uh, you know, when you're looking at the amount of thick grass around the greens, there's a little bit of luck of the draw when it comes to the, the lie you draw. Um around the greens it can be really thick and gnarly of course you know if you're walking off you know if you catch the walk off areas the grass will have flattened towards the next tee you know that makes it extremely difficult and you know ultimately you know you've got to learn how to play those shots but again you are at the lap of the gods when it comes to that as well and um what, what's the key andy short game wise in kind of thick rough is it, is it about committing to the stroke? Is it about having a technique right? What What's the keys to those kind of golf shots? Well, I mean, from, from the experiences I've had of travel, you know, different grasses behave differently around the club as well. So, you know, yes, technique has to be... Um, you know, has to, has to be understood. I mean, that's one of the things that, for me... Uh, has been a challenge, um, you know, watching players like, I feel like a bashly every time I mention it, you know, we talk about short game, but, you know, around the greens, you are going to struggle if you do not have a decent short game technique. And, you know, momentum is the crucial part of, of technique around the greens. You will get jittery at some point around the greens. This is where the problems are lie. You, you know, you get, high-sided you get a ridiculously quick putt um once it hits the green you're playing a chip shot and all of a sudden you know you've got to come out of thick rough and commit to it and you've got to land it on a marble staircase for the old expression you know ridiculously quick um green that's running away from you that ultimately the ball could go off the green i mean that's you know that's just that's what we get in us opens and you are going to get jittery and, you know, you've got to commit and you've got to commit to the, the ability and the knowledge of how to land the golf ball softly um, and also be brave to, 
to sometimes play away from the flag. And, you know, what, what I really loved about Wingfoot was that you could be creative around the greens, but you had to miss the ball, miss the green in the right spot to get to do that as well. Um, you know, you, you, there was no single route to a flag, but there was a single route away from a flag if you got the wrong side. So um, you, you could play, you could use the backstops. And we saw that with, um, you know, Bryson on the last green, of course, he missed the green. Uh, have you missed the fairway? Um, wedged it short of the green, short side himself, hit it 40 feet past the flag, used the backstop and rolled the ball back to within, you know, less than 10 feet and not the putting for his part of. And, you know, that's, you know, that for me is just use, that's, that's just the knowledge, you know, that's utilizing the slopes. That's not trying to be cute, you know, and get it close by, you know, playing the spinning shot from out the semi rough you know it's it's utilizing what's there use those slopes around the greens and the, you know and around the flag and and make it work so yeah you've got to have good technique you've got to be able to to trust your technique um you know and and, and players likely do struggle to keep momentum going with their chest and body and that's when the handle gets stuck and you know the club can invariably get stuck and of course the only thing that moves then is the handle which invariably then delofts the club and, you know, because of that, you get, you know, just a ridiculous amount of um, variables that can happen. And, um, you know, yes, you can see shots go in, you know, and you can also see shots that just don't stand, you know, any chance at all of staying on the green. And, um, you, you know, it comes, comes down to it, uh, you know, poor technique will always catch you out. It really does. You know, it's, um, I can't say any more than that, really. Do you, think, do you think at times that it, it's fair as well, it's unfair? Because going back to Lee, I think he was on Saturday, he was playing with Bobber and he played an absolutely gorgeous golf shot from the back of the green. And that was sort of, I think it's in the bunker. And he, he got it out, a beautiful golf shot. And it kind of kept going and going and going. And then he'd up off the front of the green. And I was thinking, come on, that was a lovely golf shot. Um, I think the element of unfair... Uh, I, I know what you're saying. You know, I, I totally get what you're saying. And I, you know, and there's a lot of people that would say, it, especially Lee fans. And you know, I'm a huge Lee Westwood fan. I think what Lee's done for European golf, and you know, the you know, he's a terrific player. Of course, you know, sort of just shy of being a great player. Um, you know, really, because ultimately he's been able. You know, he's had a, a strong career, a long career. Uh, he's won on, you know, every continent, um, but, you know, pretty much. And, you know, he's been able to, um, you know, keep that going, you know, pretty much stayed injury free. And, you know, that there's a lot to be said for that. Um, but just come up short with the short game. When it comes down to it, when you play in a shot that, you know, like he had, um and I caught very short, small glimpse of it. He probably wasn't more than about two or three inches away from being a really great shot, mm. you know. And then all of a sudden, you know, it makes him look ridiculous. And, you know, he's sort of fighting for double bogey, of course, at that point. So I think the big deal is that, you know, a US Open, you know what you're going to get. I think the USGA, to their credit, got wing foot right. Um, I think the fact that they can 
maybe change the setup of the golf course from day to day. That for me, I think is where I don't agree so much. You know, sub air is, is great. Um, to be able to do what you need to do to keep a tournament playing. But to change the way the golf course plays because you're worried about the scores, I don't think it's ethical, you know. And that's the bit that, you know, look, we wouldn't be right a podcast without some controversy. Um, I don't think that it's the USGA's um, sort of decision, you know, to you know, mid-tournament. I don't think it's in that play. I don't. I just don't think it's right for the game of golf that the USGA can interfere with the way the golf course is scoring in the middle of the tournament. Oh, 20 people finish under par on day one. Let's suck the moisture out of the greens. Um, you know, let's put the pins in some crazy positions and then all, all of a sudden we add four shots to the scores on the second day. I'm sort of throwing a number out there. I don't know it's exactly. Yeah, it was but... I think from I think from day one it was twenty. Like you said twenty three players under par. By the end of day two, it was six players under par. Yeah, you know, and and I think when you you know when the scoring averages change that much, but it's done, you know, if it's done because the wind picks up, you know, we're getting up. To, you know, you get twenty thirty mile an hour uh, winds, and you know they're coming, and you haven't, you know, you've you've done what you should do with regards to the shaving the greens, um, or not shaving them then, you know, we've got a look, we saw it at Shinnecock was a great example, um, you know, with, um, I think that was the event that um, Phil Mickelson threw his toys out the pram with the speed of the greens and the ball not stopping and all that sort of stuff. You know, there's, there, the USGA, I think, are the one, the US Open's the one event for me that gets the controversy around the course set up. We know it's going to be difficult and it should be. It is at the end of the day, the US Open, and I think that you know it's right and proper that there should be a difficult one. The, the the Open Championship, of course, can be difficult because of the weather, but the RNA are not in the least bit concerned that the best players in the world in good conditions will shoot 20 under par. We've seen that at St Andrews, and we know that the golf course itself is set up perfectly uh, each and every time. And the only defence is the weather, you know. So if the you know Mother Nature decides to blow a, a hoolie over the East Coast of Scotland that week, then fine. We know that Carnoustie is, you know, an extremely difficult test. And apart from 99's ridiculous rough gate, um, you know, sort of um, the amount amount of uh, rough, the height, everything else, they get it right pretty much every single time. And it's not me sort of, you know, uh, preferring the RNA to the USGA. I think the USGA get the US Open right a, a, an awful lot of the time, but every now and again, you know, they they just push it that little bit too far because they think par is a good score. And if you know par, if you want to make par a good score, then make it a par sixty-eight. You know, then you know immediately you've changed the you know the scoring averages, um, you know, to par. But you know you've, you're still going to get the same number at the end of the day, apart from maybe the psychological element. So if you make all par fours, you know, sort of 500 yards long, then you're going to make a you're going to make a big difference to the scoring averages for a lot of players. Um, but yeah, I think I think you know, for me, USGA got it right this time around. Apart from sucking the moisture out. Um, you know, of the greens. I think they did something that was not consistent with Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. 
and Thursday. And, you know, I don't agree with that. I think that that's, um, you know, that's trying to, you know, almost play God with the course and just let the course be what it is. And if the players do what they do, you know, if they, you haven't set it up quite right on on by Wednesday night, the players can't change anything Wednesday night. You know, they can't all of a sudden bring in, you know, all right, they can change a few clubs here and there if it didn't work out on Thursday. But, you know, generally speaking, the players by six o'clock Wednesday night have to have it in the bag. You know, mm-hmm. so if the USGA haven't got it in the bag, nothing changes then. You know, um, I'd love to see that as a rule come in, you know, um, that the the tournament committee cannot interfere with the golf course. Simple, simple mm-hmm. as that. You set it up Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You know what you want to do it for 12 months beforehand. And of course, yes, we've had unprecedented times of seeing it in September instead of June. I think actually I, I, what I would like to see is, you know, the, the tours um, mix it up a little bit. Throw, throw a US Open into the mix later in the year. Why should the Open Championship be the last one? You know, because we've moved the PGA. We've moved the PGA. Why? Well, I, I agree. Maybe that's you know that the uh, the US Masters, you know, played in spring with all the color. It's going to be so interesting to see it without color or what they bring in to make color happen. Um, you know, in a, in a few months' time. Um, you know, I'm intrigued by it all now. You know, but I think that the championships have been. You know, playing major championships in cold air has been incredible. Um, you know, maybe that needs to be looked at going forward. That you know, we've been tradition, the tradition of having the U.S. Open, you know, finish on Father's Day in June. You know, has been, you know, maybe overplayed. I don't know. Uh, I think that's a great. I think that's a great point. It's element, and, and we we rely on that every year with the the, the Open Championship. It's all dictated by what the elements do and don't do. And I, I don't think that's a bad challenge at all. And like you've commented before, seeing people in woolly hats and um, overcoats and things like that on a, a September's US Open, it, it's different. It brings a different vibe, it brings different conditions to the golf course and different elements that the players have got to challenge themselves with. Yeah, you know, I mean, that's, I mean, look, you know, with all due respect, they've also got away with it this time around as well, because, you know, you know, I know a little bit about weather as well. They would not want to be scheduling a an, an East Coast tournament, um, you know, in September, notoriously, you know, is wet um, and potentially could be could be wiped out by a hurricane. Um, you know, we get those weather systems. Uh, in the Atlantic and of course it makes the East Coast vulnerable so you know they've, they've got away with it from that point of view but I think it's you know that's where maybe one of the you know New York in you know earlier in the year is absolutely fine you know so that it doesn't get caught by the potential of you know bad weather you know sort of literally wiping it out and putting people at risk of course because that's you know it's more than just bad weather um, you know so yeah, yeah I think I think it would would make for something, you know, in mixing it up, you know, and of course, then what he does is it mixes the players up in the in that as well because different players will win on different courses at different times of the year because of the conditions of the golf course or the play of the course or the speed of the course or you know the thickness of the rough or I mean you know one thing for sure is that you get you're getting thickness of rough this time of the year. 
um, you know, because it's had a full summer to mature and it's had some of the moisture coming into the ground now at this time of the year. I'd, I just think, you know, going forward, it would be nice that maybe one in every three, you know, US Opens were thrown later into the year, you know, and, and, and let's see what he does for golf. Um, you know, and mix some of the traditions up. You know, oh, it's uh, yeah. You know, I mean, we know that July. You know, the Open Championship in July don't go hand in hand with sunshine and. <laughs> you know, but you go into Scotland, of course. You know, you're more than likely to get rain as you are sunshine. So, um, you know, and a little bit on the cold side as well. But at the same, you know, I've I've been in Scotland in October and it's been glorious weather. I've also been in the same location a year later and you know it's been minus six so <laughs> wind chill so you know there are no um hard and fast rules when it comes to playing golf in the uk um but ultimately you know i think it'd be it'd be great you know if if the the tour and the hosting courses could mix it up a little it, um, i like that i do like that something i noticed quite a lot over the, the kind of coverage on the on the tv was the amount of short puts that were missed. And we'll talk about a certain somebody in a, in a moment around short puts. But for, for amateurs out there, people are really interested in the podcast, Andy. Mm. Um, what, what are your keys over these kind of three and four footers? What, what should a player be considering or, or taking a little bit more time or technical-wise? What should they be doing? Um, well, the big one for me with the short putt is that the cone, what I call the cone of error. So, you know, if you put two sticks down either side of the hole and draw them together. So two tour sticks, um, you know, typically are around about 44 inches long. So if you put them down, um, you know, on the edge of the hole and then just draw them together and then place a golf ball in the mid, you know, as far to the end as you possibly can with that. Um, so the, you've got this sort of, triangle this sort of nice long triangle that's the amount of error that you've got in order to make that putt now assuming the putt's straight you know you've got around six degrees of error three degrees either side of the center line into the hole now you'll be looking at a putt around about sort of 38 to 40 inches um you know if you put it inside of that um, cone and you know I, I challenge anybody to you know to consistently miss you know, putts of that, you know, if you understand what that cone is doing for you visually, um, you know, to, to miss putts consistently. So, you know, that's what you're working with. Now, we know that all putts are not straight. So, you know, that said, now, if you could establish that cone, again, you could then move that cone to the start line and then say, right, okay, well, this is where I'm going to set myself up for um, my start line, if, if it's a, a left edge putt, you know, move the center of the cone across to the left edge of the hole and now see, you know, where the variables are. So, um, so the center of that cone in the left edge, that's your start line. You can pull it a little bit and still catch the left edge. You can push it a little bit and still catch the right edge, but you're now going to push and put a risk into that miss. And invariably, we see putts missing on the low side for the recreational golfer and the high side for the professional golfer. Um, you know, we generally look at speed being. Um, and, you know, speed determines your start line. 
of course. You know, where you choose to hit the putt is based on how firm you're going to hit it. So if you're hitting the putt, you know, at a, at a good speed, um, you know, you are in, a, in good order, um, you know, to make that happen. I think when we get to it, you know, we, we're looking at um, putts that are much more of a challenge at US Open speeds because you could be looking at, you know, six inches of break on a four-foot putt. Now you've got to make a commitment to your start line and to the speed, and you're not going to be using a lot of speed with the putter. And this comes back to a little bit like what we're talking about with the short game. The speed of the putt or the momentum of the putt so you know the putter's only going to be traveling maybe one and a half mile an hour you know to hit the ball four feet on the speed of the us open green so it's not a lot of speed required but you do need to maintain momentum of the putter that putter's got to keep moving through the ball and the way you do that is using your body not your hands but of course the putt is that short you do not need to do an awful lot of movement of the handle of the club. So, you know, you're moving your hands from side to side, you know, you can move that golf ball, um, you know, that short distance. But the challenge, the big challenge for me is, you know, if you can start to move the putter using your chest, so you feel like, you know, for the right-handed golfer, your right shoulder moves into the backswing first, and that's going to move your chest so that the sternum keeps moving through the stroke and as you move the chest to the right, you know, it starts to move away from the ball. The sternum moves back behind the ball and then likewise moves forward into the ball and through the ball. You know, you don't have the you know, variables on the club face at the point of impact that you would have potentially from using your hands. Now, a lot of great putters will use their hands more than they feel they do on the short putts. But ultimately, if you can keep the hands very quiet and start to move the ball from side, uh, sorry, the putter from side to side using your chest, you will be, um, you know, more stable through the ball. And that's a critical part of, you know, what you're doing or what you're needing to do with the golf club. Um, but understanding start lines for the recreational golfer is, is one of the biggest challenges, you know, and, and that's why I, I put a couple of sticks down and say to folk, look, you know, try the cone of error work out what it is that you've got going on there. And, you know, sort of from there, if you can see that you've got this amount of error, it doesn't make you flippant, you know, or, or blasé about the putt. What it does is it gives you an opportunity to understand that actually, you know what, you shouldn't be missing these putts that, you know, but you do have to focus on the start line and the speed, you know, will determine that's where that start line is going to be. It's, um, you know, it's, it's amazing just the difference that I get um, you know, that sort of light bulb moment, really, with golfers when they, you know, sort of stand over a putt and you put that cone down and look at it and go like, God, I shouldn't be missing that at all. <laughs> you, you know, but but up until that point, the realisation of there's the amount of error can show the, the amount of adjustment you've got with club face um, available to you. And, you know, you can actually get it right. And, you know, I think it's a, a terrific, you know, sort of visual um, and of course, then as we move further and further away, you know, then the degrees of error change, um, you know, so sort of around sort of three and a half feet, you're looking at um, three degrees either side and you get to 10 feet, it's one degree either side, 20 feet, half a degree of error on either side. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, you start to see that, you know, holding a 30 foot putt now 
with just a fraction of error, you've got assuming that you got the right, you know, sort of um, start line, you have very little, um, you know, margin for error on the longer putt. But, you know, good putters will hold them all the same, you know, not at the rate they'll, they'll hold three footers, of course. I think one of the things as well from a most, you know, from the, what separates great players and, and, you know, we're talking great players, tour players here, is that their alarming rate of consistency inside five feet. You know, they mm. are holding at a ridiculous amount. I mean, it's, I saw a stat the other day, um, current PGA tour numbers, um, three feet, they're holding 99.3% of putts from three feet. We know they miss a putt or two. Um, you know, and then it's, it's, I wouldn't say falls off the shelf, but inside five feet, there are very rarely missed putts um, because the purity of the greens, the the, 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 the strokes are good enough. The, the speed of the greens helps them to just literally get the putter started on the line. You know, it all makes a big difference. Mm, yeah, massively. Did you want to pick up on, on the Danny Lee put, six putts? I was a little bit up. I think I put a tweet out saying, I don't like to see, but I can't stop watching. It was that kind of thing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, um, I mean, it's car crash television, isn't it? So you know, mm. we've, we've six putts from what was it inside three feet? Four feet. It? Yeah, four feet. Four feet. Yeah, scary. You know, his head came off. Uh, I don't know what point his head came off, but the thing for me was, you know, I had no idea because obviously, you see the putt. Um, you know, sort of pop up on TV that had he have hold the first putt, he'd knocked it only 73 or something like that, which was a ridiculously good score on Saturday. Yeah. I mean, you know, and he, then he withdraws. I feel like, so that therein lies the issue that we're dealing with somebody who's got a head problem. Um, yeah, you know, and of course, you know, I've said it, you know, there's, there's something really bugging you know, Danny, at that point that he's, uh, you know, he's got to the point where he just will literally just wax a ball, wax a ball, wax a ball. I mean, you know, missed a couple of putts from, you know, inside a foot and a half, by the looks of it. And, you know, I mean, it just, you know, his head was off and he hold a, you know, four footer, you know, to get off the green. So, yeah, I think it's, um, I think it's a big, you know, big, big deal there really for me is that he's, um, you know, he's got something that's messed with his head through the round or, or maybe the week. And he's just, he just doesn't want to get, he doesn't want to play Sunday. Simple as that, you know, and maybe the withdrawal was in as much embarrassment as anything else, you know, that he's, yeah. that he's done that. I don't know. And he may have just done it in the heat of the moment again. You know, we don't know. We don't know what's going on inside, but you know, I mean, he's, he's made a decision, which for me is a head issue. Um, you know, and he's, um, he, he, you know, he's, he's, I think he may regret not playing the last round, at least go and figure it out. You know, even if you have a tough round, you know, you can, every single round of golf that you play is a school day for me. You know, it's, um, you know, there's something to learn from every round of golf you play. It really is a it, Yeah. And these tournaments, Andy, must be so mentally fatigued, sapping, it must kind of just drain the energy out. I saw a, a tweet from Lee Westwood where he, straight after his round, he was, went to the bar because he just needed a beer just to kind yeah. of yeah. unwind, yeah. relax a little I, bit. I mean, I don't, I don't see Lee as a guy who's going to go out there and have a beer after every single round. Now, you know, he may do, you know. Um, he's more likely to probably have a glass of wine with a meal 
you know, and you know, I don't see see Lee as a you know guy who's literally going out there and um, you know, sort of or oh, going to have three or four points after a round of golf. But you know, a week like this, you know, yeah, absolutely, you know, go and go and have a couple of beers and. You know, these guys are at work. We've got to remember, number one, they're athletes. Yes, we know that. But they're also at work. And, you know, so, you know, invariably they're going to be doing what, you know, what what's right. They're, they're working athletes. And, you know, for me, the working athlete generally will do things right. Yes, there are a few players out there, and I'm not going to name names, that have been out there and have, you know, sort of drank copious amounts of beer wrapped in, you know, sort of plastic bags or paper bags or whatever it is, even on the golf course. We've known that's happened in the past. But, um, you know, generally speaking, these working athletes are are going to keep fairly well disciplined, you know, between their first and fourth round. And if it means that, you know, by the time they're done uh, on Sunday, I think you could safely say that they deserve a beer. Yeah, at the end of it. You know, you know that I don't drink, but I would never, you know, sort of stop anybody having a drink if they wanted to have one. Um, you know, you've worked hard, go and enjoy a beer, you know, crikey. Um, you know, there's nothing wrong between then and you know, here here you know, when's the next event for a lot of these guys? Most of them will be having the week off. So um, you know, yeah, uh, yeah, so you know, it is what it is, isn't it? You know, yeah, and it is, and it is, it is going to sap you. You know, I don't think many of them will be in the gym this morning either. You know, but um, I'm sure there will be a few. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's again, you know, some have their routines. I would imagine that Bryson will be in the gym at some point, um, doing doing his thing, and uh, you know, he he knows what it's got to he's got to do to keep going, and you know, he'll be looking towards the U.S. Masters now going forward. Next two majors, very exciting. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yes, yeah. I mean, that's. I mean, I've just worked out what you've said there. Yeah, the next two majors are the U.S. Masters, which is kind of bizarre. I mean, I'm just hoping that you know, we've we've been fortunate with the schedules that we do get to see the U.S. Masters uh, in November. I think it's, um, you know, I, I would hate to think that we've, you know, we lose the opportunity to do it. Um, you know, because of the pandemic, it would be you know sort of terrible, really. Um, but uh, but yeah, let's let's hope that you know it's it's without incident between now and then, and um, you know we can uh, we can get to indulge because that's exactly what we're doing. Ultimately, yeah, we are definitely. indulging in this you know great game of golf that we love. So, um, mm. um, right, I think it's fairly appropriate to uh, announce. Um, our winner of the Duca de Cosma um, competition from last week. If I, I could do with a drum roll, really, but actually, you know, we don't. We don't yeah, we don't. <laughs> nothing like relying on Gareth for the sound effects. Um, you know, so yeah, that definitely didn't come from Mediate. Um, just throwing that one out there. That was definitely Gareth on his own. Um, like I say, special thanks to Duca de Cosma for sponsoring the show last week and for putting up the prize uh, and the announcement to our UK winner, uh, Phil Gosney. Phil, congratulations. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch with us, if you can contact me, um, we are following each other, of course. So you can DM uh, me in my uh, Twitter account. We will get uh, some details from you. Um, but Phil, if you can get, get in touch with us, 
congratulations. Your Duca da Cosma shoe uh, selection uh, will be with you very, very shortly. And uh, thanks to everybody who entered and followed, and I'm sure uh, pushing the boat out, we'll have another competition giveaway for the next major championship of the US Masters at Augusta in November. So, um, like I say, special thanks um, to Duca da Cosma for that. And um, of course, guys, if you are not following any of the social media platforms uh twitter instagram linkedin facebook at andy gorman golf uh then feel free to do so and if there's anything you would like us to talk about going forward feel free to offer some comments and uh some reviews as well of the podcast if you can help us with a review if you like what we're doing um like what we're talking about and would like anything else and pop a review onto the podcast. I think it's on Spotify is the, is the review, is that right? Uh, iTunes. iTunes do the review, so not Spotify. iTunes um, review, if you wouldn't mind doing that, we would really appreciate it because it helps uh, with the rating and with the rating comes the other bits and pieces, the goodies, the, the sponsorships, the giveaways that we can put uh, to you going forward. So we do appreciate everybody's uh, sort of attention for the hour or so that we chat golf uh, on a Monday, typically but um, talking about tour talk, about equipment, about wedge shots and putting. Let me throw a little bit of, you know, performance golf in there as well. So next week, what, what's, Gareth, forgive me, but I have, you know, with all the US Open and everything going on this week, what have we got to look forward to in terms of tournaments? Uh, now we're exciting back. week, exciting week. Tuesday, a little special treat for everybody, is a um, kind of charity match taking place. It's Tiger like Woods. Tiger's golf Justin course, isn't Thomas. it? Yeah, just a new golf course, Tiger and Justin, and Thomas against Justin Rose and Rory McIlroy. That'll be really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then we've got on Thursday, starting the Irish Open. Starts on Thursday. Of course it is. Yeah. So that'll be great to see. Um, you know, yeah, I'm assuming then that Rory will not be at the Irish Open because uh, he won't be flying in on uh, Wednesday, or I wouldn't have thought so. But um, yeah. And no, course, I believe Ron's playing. I think Shane Lowry's playing. So yeah. it's, it's a good, very good field. It is a good field. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I had, had forgotten about it. I did turn the TV off fairly quickly last night. Um, so I could get a reasonably early night. Um, it's one of those challenges of these early starts. Um, but uh, yeah, we've um, we, we will be talking tour talk. We will be talking more equipment as well. We will be talking some more training aids going forward. Um, things that we've had in the studio, and you know there will be some videos popping out there onto YouTube and the like. So um, you know keep watching on all the channels and uh, listening. And we do appreciate your time spent with us. We will see you very soon. Thanks for listening.